Welcome to Arise Church, where we exist so that you can experience God. I pray that this message will encourage, inspire, and grow your faith in God. Enjoy the message. We're going to continue to experience God together today over the next few moments. Uh, we always want to celebrate as we get started, and we have several fun celebrations today. Uh, first of all, uh, I get to announce, uh, while it won't take effect for another month or two, uh, six weeks or something like that, uh, I do get to announce that we've been looking for a youth pastor for a long time, and uh, for, since Pastor Kieran transitioned in the connection, he's been doing kind of both in that meantime. Uh, but we are actually moving Pastor Johnny Turpin over from South Shore location into the Brandon location to be the youth pastor here, yeah, and uh, we have hired an amazing young man who actually starts today, and he's down at South Shore getting announced today, Pastor Kevin Haynes will be with us, uh, you are going to love Pastor Kevin, he's going to be awesome, so he's going to be our youth pastor down in South Shore, and Johnny's going to be our youth pastor up here, so uh, really excited to be able to announce that to you. I also want to quickly say uh, today officially our men's retreat, um, Call of Duty men's retreat 2022 registration comes out. And so make sure, yeah, come on. Come on, where's the men at? It really is one of the best things we do here at our church. We love men's retreat. Uh, every time like a new person comes, they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is not what I thought it was going to be like at all. And uh, so, so, yeah, so make sure you sign up for men's retreat. And then before I go any further, a couple things. One, happy Father's Day. Yeah. Happy Juneteenth. Y'all do realize it's Juneteenth as well. And uh, today's going to be fun because, um, because we're kind of in this Pride and Prejudice series. It's Father's Day and it's Juneteenth. And I'm about to wrap all that up in one little package and put a bow on it for you. Here, here's the deal. Uh, in, all, in all truth, here's the deal. Um, I love preaching on Father's Day. Every Mother's Day, I go to Ada, and I'm like, Ada, who do you want to speak? What do you want to do? She's kind of the Mother's Day person. She's in charge of that. I stay out of it, right? Come on, men, you know what you got to stay out of? I stay out of it. But Father's Day, I'm like, no, this is mine, baby. I love, I love Father's Day. It's my favorite day to speak. I love to speak to men. Where are the men at in the room? Give me a uh. All right, y'all got y'all got to talk back to me this morning. So we're gonna we're gonna do a deep dive. Then we're gonna come out of it a little bit, and hopefully we can put all this together. And um, listen, I I love this. This is gonna be good. If I I feel like T D Jakes right now. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Like this is gonna be good. <laughs> this is gonna be good. Uh, I started with this this kind of thought as I was preparing. What what is a man? What is a man? And you get these images of manly men, right? These, these pictures of what it looks like to be a man. And, and I thought about that and I thought there is no greater picture of what it looks like to be a man, at least apart from Jesus Christ and biblical pictures, than one of our former presidents, Teddy Roosevelt. I don't know if you know anything about Teddy Roosevelt, but I just think this is amazing. On October 12th, 1912, he was actually campaigning and doing a public speech. Somebody walked up with a 32 caliber revolver, shot him at point blank range in the chest. How did he respond? Anybody know this story? He, 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 he had a bullet lodged two inches inside of his chest and he stood up in front of the crowd for the speech and he said, the bullet is in me now, he informed the audience, so that I cannot make a very long speech. And then he went on to speak for 53 minutes. 
with a bullet lodged in his chest. I'm like, come on, somebody, come on. They said by the time he was done speaking that he had a, he was like literally standing in a pool of his own blood before he would allow himself and basically passed out to go get the bullet removed to get worked on. Like that's a man's man. And I was thinking about this. I just read this book that talked about him. So, so here's, a, here's a little bit of his resume of manliness. The, they used to call him the bull moose for one because he rode a moose at one point. Who rides a moose? <laughs> if you know me, I want a falcon to sit on my shoulder, but riding a moose is right there next to it. Like that's pretty cool. He actually rode a moose. He took down an armed cowboy during a barroom brawl. He crossed over a frozen river to chase boat thieves away. He worked at a ranch in the Dakotas. He flew a Wright Brothers airplane. He scaled the Matterhorn in the Swiss Alps. He went on a month-long African safari, or multiple month-long African safaris. He navigated uncharted parts of the Amazon River. He led the charge up Kettle Hill during the Battle of San Juan. Check this out. I ain't comparing this to modern presidents of any sort. I'm just saying, check this out. He set up a boxing ring in the White House so that he could spar anybody who dared to get into the ring with him. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you do that, I'll probably vote for you. Like, I don't care your politics. That's just awesome. And don't put this image in your mind, but he was known to go skinny dipping, skinny dipping in the Potomac River while he was president. I'm not telling you that you should follow the example of Teddy Roosevelt. I'm just telling you when you talk about what is a manly man looked like, Teddy Roosevelt was like a man's man. And I love this. He wrote the, the famous man in the arena little monologue. And he says it this way in the man in the arena. He said, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how strong, man's, how strong men stumbles or where the doer of deeds could not have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives val valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions? Who spends himself in a worthy cause? Who at the best knows in the end, of tri in the, end the triumph of high achievement and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Men in the room, you need to know either victory or defeat. You need to never know the middle ground. If you're going for something, you're going to fail sometimes. You're also going to reach it sometimes. But what you should never do is be timid and step back. <laughs> See, men follow these types of men because manhood is formed within brotherhood. And there's something about manhood, it happens to all of us, but there's something about manhood that we are always looking around trying to, trying to look for examples of what manhood looks like. It's ingrained within every one of us. And so we start comparing ourselves. And while that can quickly become negative, it is human nature as men that you look to other men to say, am I manly? Am I right? And we look to other men, but there becomes a problem when there's no men to look to. <laughs> We'll repeat that phrase or something similar throughout this message. See, there's also these type of manly men in the Bible, like Teddy Roosevelt. David, <laughs> David was a man's man. <laughs> we know the, the young shepherd boy who gets anointed to be the next king of Israel. And before you know it, he's taking lunch. He's taking meals over to his brothers. And he sees a giant calling out in defiance of God. And David steps up and he's like, listen, this ain't going to happen on my watch. And the man-man steps up even while he's a boy. 
And he steps up and says, this isn't going to happen on my watch. And he, he goes over and faces Goliath and slews, slays him and, and becomes an iconic figure from that day forward. But he's a man's man, y'all. He, he wants to marry the princess, Saul's daughter. He wants to marry the princess. And the bride price is a hundred Philistine foreskins. Everybody skips over that part. That might be greater than killing Goliath. I would rather attack Goliath than have to cut off a hundred Philistine foreskins. That's a hundred men, and you got to do some stuff I don't want to have to do. David was doing that stuff, man. David was a hero in battles. He was a hero in war, but he was also a lover and a fighter. He was the poet who would write the most beautiful poetry inside of the entire Bible throughout the book of Psalms. He was a warrior poet. He was a, he was a man's man, and you get these different dimensions of even who he is. And like all men, at the end of his life, he's looking back over his life, and he's preparing the next generation and that's where we want to pick up the story. Right now, I'm going to give you two main verses, two main scriptures. This is the first one. 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. David's getting ready to die, and it says, When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to his son Solomon, or to Solomon his son. Fathers in the room, you better be charging your kids. If you don't set a precedence and a standard and a charge before them, somebody else will. Because human nature, like I just said, is to look for somebody who's an example of what you should be. And you either become that example or you live long enough to see them become an example of somebody else. We set the standards. You've got to charge your kids. Charge your kids. He says this to Solomon. He said, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. In other words, I'm going to die, he said. So what did he say? So be strong. Act like a man. Look at your neighbor and say, act like a man. That was weak, y'all. Look at your neighbor and say, act like a man. Look at your neighbor across the aisle and say, act like a man. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Now you, knew, now you yourself know that Joab, son of Zeruiah, died what he did to me, what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner, son of Ner, Amasa, son of Jether. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle. With that blood, he, he stained the, bl the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. So he's telling him, he's telling him, he's giving a picture of, hey, you better watch out for this guy. You better deal with this guy for me. He said, deal with him. According to your wisdom. Somebody say, according to your wisdom. That's interesting. Deal with him according to your wisdom. But do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. Y'all thought David was all kind, but you're about to find out he's not so. Verse 7. But show kindness to the sons of Barzillai of Gilead, and let them be among those who eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. So this is the bad people you got to watch out for. This is the good one you need to bless. And remember, you have... With you, Shemai, son of Gura, the Benjamite from Bahurim, who called down bitter curses on me the day that I went to Mahanaim. <clears throat> when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. But now, <laughs> but now, do not consider him innocent. What did he say here again? You are a man of what? Wisdom. You are a man of what? Wisdom. You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do with him. <laughs> 
Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. Then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. He had reigned 40 years over Israel, seven in Hebron and 30, 33 in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father, David. Don't miss this. So Sal Solomon sat where? Solomon sat where? So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his rule was firmly established. <laughs> huh. uh, but before, I, before I jump into the message, let me give you one more other key passage, because there's a New Testament apostle who probably is very familiar with this passage. He's also a man's man, willing to take on persecution and difficulty and hardship for the cause of Christ. His name is the Apostle Paul, and, and I believe he's probably reflecting back on what David says as he's finishing up his first letter, which at this time might be the only one he's ever expecting to write to the Corinthian church. And he's writing to them, and as he's wrapping up the letter, he says this, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. <laughs> Somebody say, act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Love, love. But before I give you a couple points, let me just quickly point this out. I love this about the story. Uh, I could preach this whole thing by itself right here. I think this is a powerful aspect. And I want you to see what happens right here because David speaks over Solomon twice in that passage we just read that you are a man of wisdom. That's prior to Solomon getting a dream from God and God speaking to him and he asked for wisdom. Fathers, he spoke over his son, you are a man of wisdom. So then he stepped into becoming a man of wisdom. Before he was demonstrating all of the wisdom of the ages that he would later demonstrate, the father spoke over him and said, you will be a man of wisdom. You will know how to handle these situations. Then all of a sudden Solomon gets a dream and says, what do I need? I need wisdom. You think that's coincidence? Fathers, you have the ability to speak over your children. You have the ability to call things out of them to speak over what they are becoming, what are they to become, who they are, their identity. And, and what I want to do over the next few moments is speak this over the men in the room because there are some identity issues. There are some things that we're about to dive into deeply that I think are powerful. And men, you have to know who you are. And as the father of the house, I want to be able to speak over the men. And by the way, this is great for ladies too. I'm directing it to men, but there's nothing that I'm saying to men that you couldn't take on to the ladies. But you need somebody to speak over you what you really are because you've had everybody else in the world speak over you. <clears throat> All right, five charges to men on this Father's Day. Number one, act like a man. <laughs> act like a man. My goodness, in this confused generation, we need to hear this. Act like a man. A man. <laughs> this means that you can be a man and not act like a man. You can be a father but not be a dad. This recognizes that you can be something that you're supposed to be but not actually living out what you're supposed to be. But the problem that comes up that we want to address at length right now, and by the way, don't get nervous because point one is going to take most of this message. The other four will go through quicker. But what I want you to see as we start to unpack this is, is how do you act like a man when you've never seen manhood modeled out in front of you. Because you learn from examples. 
And so we try to be a man without ever having anybody teaching us what it looks like to be a man. And so you grow up watching things that you think are manly, but they're not. And so, 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 so my grandparents' generation, my, 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 that's the World War II generation. I know my age might be different than others in the room, but, but that generation, my God, they were running into combat. They were running into war. I remember talking to my best friend's uh, grandfather when, when he was still alive, and he was saying how he didn't meet the weight requirement to enter the war. And so and the weight requirement was something really low. It's like 120 pounds or something. Like it was really low. He said he didn't meet the weight requirement to actually enter the war. So what did he do? He ate like 10 pounds of bananas right before the weigh-in so that he could act. Come on, y'all. That's that generation. And so you had a model to see. And then you come after that generation, you get my father's generation. You get, the, you get the John Wayne generation. You get the Vietnam generation. Vietnam generation was a little different. We were not running into war in Vietnam. We were actually, we, we were stepping into the war, but we didn't really want to be in the war. We, we, weren't, we weren't eating a bunch of bananas so that we could get to the fight. Come on, y'all. And so, so that generation, they were masculine, they were manly, and they stepped into it, but they didn't necessarily want to. And then you come into my generation. My generation, they grew up on people that looked manly, but they might not have actually been. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Chuck Norris, Sylvester Stallone, The Rock, whoever. And all these people, they had the muscles on top of muscles. They looked the part, but we watched an entertainment-driven image of manliness that wasn't actually real. And so we learned how to put on a front of what manliness is supposed to be without actually having the character of manliness. Are y'all with me? And so, and so we had this front. We know how to look like a man because, because my goodness, Jean-Claude Van Damme could split his legs and do roundhouse kicks and break bricks and fight with his eyes closed. And we know, but it was all entertainment. That wasn't actual manhood. And if you follow that progression, we are now in a time where the image of manhood is non-existent. The men that we see are not even trying to pretend to be men. Now they are so defeminized men, demasculated men, that now we're not even pretending trying to be a masculine man. Paul said this one time. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 4, he said, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to what? Imitate me. Therefore, I urge you to imitate. That, that, that's, make no mistake, that's what fathers do. Fathers don't, don't get on a camera and tell you what to do. They live it out so you follow their example. That, that, that's, that's, what, that's what fathers do. But we live in an age, in a day and time right now, where we no longer have these examples being lived out for us. And just like Paul prophesied and spoke over that church, it's still true in the church today, that we have lots of educators, lots of teachers. We have degrees, but we don't have dads. We have diplomas, but we don't have dads. Are y'all with me? And so we have everybody telling us what to do, but nobody actually living the example out in front of us. And men are visual creatures. And we actually follow those who are living it out in front of us, not those who are telling us what to do. In fact, in general, men don't like being told what to do. <laughs> Come on, somebody. <laughs> All the wives are like, I know, I'm, I, know about, I can't say anything right now, Pastor, but I know about that. <laughs> and right now we live in a day and age where we have 40% of newborns being born to unwed parents. 25% of kids have no fathers at home. 20% of American dads are completely absent, completely absent from their kid's life during adolescence. 
One out of five. It's not even that they're divorced. It's not even that they're not home. One in five are completely absent from their kid's life. This creates the real pandemic. Because we could talk at length about this. Everybody wanted the sexual revolution. Everybody wanted free sex and do whatever you wanted to with, with no, con- no, you know, no problems and no issues. And, and what do we have now? <laughs> we live in a world where I'm, I'm about to hurt some people's feelings, but I got to say it because I feel like the Lord wants me to say it. Most dads don't want participation trophies. If you're not living the part of the father, stop wanting Father's Day gifts. Most of the dads I know, and I got stupid participation trophies. You just get it because you just showed up. Listen, I'm looking for some men who don't just, don't just, don't just fill in the game. Like, like they're either going to fail because they're trying or they're going to reach because they're trying, but they refuse just to sit back and settle. They're not getting a participation trophy for Father's Day. So to all those dads who are not part of the statistic and they stayed, we honor you today. For all those dads who are stepdads and, and, and maybe not even biological fathers that are filling in the gap. For all the spiritual fathers, we honor you today. For all those dads who have run away, who have not stayed, we want to help you today. We want to encourage you. We want to portray an image before you because part of the problem is, is that you never saw the image. But a father... A father invests in you. A father deposits something in you. A father lives that example in front of you. And I think it's true today that there's not many fathers, whether that be spiritually or naturally. And that's a problem because generally speaking, the father's the one that shows you the authentic self, the real self. That's why it can't be portrayed on an image because you see the strengths and the weaknesses and you learn from both of those. You see the father fall. You see the father hurt himself. You see the father scuff his knees or whatever. And you learn from those kind of things. But when you're learning from an image on Instagram, you don't actually see the falls of flaws of fatherhood. And so we live in this time right now where not only do you not have many natural fathers, but you don't have a lot of spiritual fathers either. Because spiritual fathers would rather be inauthentic and show you an image on Instagram, show you a tweet from a message. They would rather you lift them up on their social media account than they would actually be real and be like, hey, let me tell you how hard life is. Let me tell you how this stuck. Let me tell you how many times I failed before I ever got to this place. Nobody wants to tell those stories. And so when we find ourselves in a place where there's not many fathers at home and there's also not many fathers in the church, we end up with a fatherless generation. And when you have a fatherless generation, you have a confused generation. You don't know who you are. Because you primarily get your, your identity from your father. And you start to not realize who you are. See, the father, the family, I'm sorry, is where all humanity is nurtured. It all starts inside the family unit. This is why the family is so important. It all starts within the family, and you learn how to be a man, how to be a woman. You learn it all from the family by the way you see them live, the way you see them live. And inside of the family dynamic, there's typically, it's not 100% true, but typically you're going to have different versions on the mother and father side, and it doesn't matter which side is which, but one of them will be more disciplined, and one of them will be more, more free. Y'all remember last week? One of them will be grace. One of them will be truth. And so, and so um, uh, you see this dynamic in Ada and I. Anybody want to guess which one's which? <laughs> you see it in our church because we're the parents of the church, so to speak. 
Ada's the grace person. Oh, it's so sweet, so wonderful. You're so great. I just love you. <laughs> Pastor Brent steps in. He's like, stop sinning. Get right. Come to the altar. But, but, but you, need, you need the mixture. You see this in your house? This is why, this is why you get up in the morning, you're, you're on the way to go. This happens all the time in our house. All the time. I love you all the time. We say, we say, hey, let's go. It's time to go. Or I say we. I say it's time to go. I'm ready to get in the car. My keys are in my pocket. My phone is in my pocket. I am ready to go. We are walking out the door. And Ada says, oh, sweetie, have you eaten yet? I can make you some toast real quick. I can, I can, hey, I can grab you. And I'm like, we are walking out the door, and now you're preparing lunch. Come on, y'all. Y'all know, y'all know your lives are like this. In one degree or the other, don't have to be saying, but it's, <laughs> this, this is why Ada and I don't ride to church together on Sunday mornings. I get up early, she does her thing, I do my thing, we meet here at the church. It works for us. Some of y'all, y'all might need to consider this. Like, it works for us. <laughs> we, we just don't, because there's tension, because she's all about grace, and she's not very fast-paced, so to speak, and that kind of, is always got to take care of everybody, make sure they're all taking care of that motherly personality. I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. We're late. We're, have you looked at the clock? Do you know what time it is? I learned a long time ago, just don't even tell my wife what time it is. Most of the time, she's getting ready, I'm like, mm. It's attention because I want to tell her, but I'm like, if I tell her, I'm going to be, you know, sleeping on the couch. And so, but that's what happens in the, inside the family dynamic because you, you have a mixture of grace and truth, freedom and discipline. What happens when you don't have that mixture? What happens is you become overextended on one and underextended on the other. Now, if it's all grace, you never learn discipline. You don't know how to deal with authority figures. You don't know how to deal with your bosses because, because your boss is not going to be nearly as graceful as that parent was. You never learn how to deal with police. Uh, whatever the authority figure is, you never knew, learn how to deal with them because you get all grace and no truth. But then other times you get all the discipline, all the truth in the world, but you never learn how to be graceful. And you become unbalanced. You become unbalanced. Now, now hear me. We're going to go deep for just a second. When you become unbalanced, you secretly, unintentionally, not even realizing it, you become, or you start craving. You long for what you're missing. Are y'all with me? And so, 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 so the, the, the young lady who never had a father craves that father's attention, even if she doesn't realize what it is. This is psychology, okay? You with me? So she craves that father's attention. So she runs to everybody that looks like they might be a father for attention. And you might have names for her, like slut, or am I allowed to say this? You, you, you'll say these names about her, but what's really happening is there's a missing element inside of her life that she's craving, she's desiring. It's not that she's really wanting to be this thing. It's that she has an empty void inside of her that she's still running trying to get. Uh, on, the, on the men's side, w when the father leaves, you, you tend to, and this is for male and female, but you tend to think, I did something wrong. What's wrong with me that dad doesn't like me? Yeah. He doesn't, a child doesn't realize that you didn't leave because of him, you left because of the mother. But, but, but 
But they don't realize that. So they think something's wrong with me. What is broken inside of me that dad doesn't like me? So therefore, I need to be what dad likes. And so you end up with a lack of identity because we get our identity from our fathers. And so what happens is now you get little boys and little girls who are now trying to identify different than they are because what they are really longing for is an identity that's now missing. So we get our identities from our fathers. So when a father is no longer present, (laughs) no longer around to find ourselves, we got to figure out who we are. Does this get too deep for you? So now I got to figure out who I am because I don't have an example telling me who I am. I don't have anybody charging me saying, you are a man of wisdom. You are a man of honor. You are a man of integrity. You are a woman of, we don't have anybody charging you now. And it's the father's role inside the family. That's why you need both to give that identity. Not that a woman can't do it, but it's the father's role to do it. And so as fathers are missing, you grow up with a generation that is having an identity crisis. Across the board, having an identity crisis. Little boys who are still like, like, I'm not worthy, so we're running around trying to prove to the world that we're worthy. Little boys who, who, who grow up thinking, Dad left because I'm not good enough, so therefore I have to climb the corporate ladder and kill everybody to get there just to prove to Dad that I'm good enough, never even realizing that's what we're doing, but there's a void that's left there. Can, can I take it a step further? Uh, this is different, I know. I'm, I, we'll come out of this in a minute, but I want to dive. Okay, I'm going to dive headlong. You might hate me. Men create strong boys. Women create strong young ladies, girls right? Why? Because a man knows that it's hard to be a man in life. You're going to have to face stuff that that everybody else doesn't understand. A man knows the difficulties of being a man. Therefore, when we raise a boy, we raise him to become a man. But when we raise a girl, we don't understand the the, the difficulties of womanhood. So we tend to pamper the girls. Now, this is not a perfect rule, but it's pretty generalized. We tend to pamper the girls, and so you get a daddy's girl, and we, we, we try to make sure the girls don't have any difficulties and no hardship and let's love on them, let's, let's take care of them. And you touch my daughter, I'll kick you in the face. You know, we're protecting them. Flip it. When mom raises a young girl, she knows the difficulties of being a woman in our society today. And you got to fight and you got to claw and scrap your way to the top and shatter glass ceilings. And, and she knows that. So she teaches her daughter to be tough. And she will allow her daughter to walk through things that the father would protect the daughter from, allow her to walk through things. Cause she's like, honey, you better learn to get some thick skin if you're going to survive in this world. <laughs> Meanwhile, she will take the boy and protect him. And you get a mama's boy. And she's protecting the boy. Oh, because he's so cute. He's so sweet. And and you're protecting the boy. Now, this is a stereotype, but it rings true too often. When that happens, a bunch of your light bulbs are about to go off. When that happens, you raise a generation, if you have a bunch of single moms as we have today, with really strong girls and really weak men. (coughs) Y'all get that? Look around the society today. We have stronger women than we may have ever had in society in the history of America. At the exact same moment, we have weaker men, in my opinion, than we've probably ever had in the history of America. I, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to beat you up if you're a single mom. If you, if you deal with 
kids with identity problems. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just trying to help us get a, a big picture of what's really happening in society that we don't see. And the news probably isn't going to tell you all this, right? And so, so we see this being played out, and it all stems from this lack of balance, lack of balance. So then we try to figure out our own identities. And as Proverbs would say, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Little children with broken identities still trying to figure out who they are because nobody's telling them who they are. Actually living in a culture where it's considered wrong to tell them who they are. No, you have a biblical mandate to tell your kids who they are. Sometimes there's parents that's like, I don't think I gotta make my kids go to church. No, you tell your kids to go to church. You teach your kids, with all things, you teach them how to be mature adults, and part of that is their relationship to God. Mm -hmm. But, but back to where I was. You can't act like a man when you've never seen a man. How do you play a role to which there was never a script given to you? And so we're told multiple times in the scriptures, actually, that was two of them, there's a few others. We're told, act like a man, act like men. But how do you act like something that nobody ever taught you how to act like? In fact, what we're seeing in our society today is that we were taught, but we were taught wrong. My generation taught me Homer Simpson and Al Bundy. I don't think he knew one of those. And Homer Simpson is my namesake, y'all. I don't think those are very good examples of manhood. This generation is learning manhood from the latest hip-hop song and the latest music. It's not a good picture of what manhood actually is. And so we're learning manhood, but we're learning it because we learn from examples from some who are pretending to be men, but they're not. And so what happens? When you don't act like a man, you start to, one, act like an animal. Animals work off of instincts. If I feel it, I do it. Whatever I want, it's mine. I take what is mine. Animals act off of instincts. Man, a dog will jump on another dog anywhere. Aiden and I were, I don't know, you got kid plug ears. Aiden and I were at Animal Kingdom yesterday, literally, not yesterday, uh, Friday, Animal Kingdom, and we're walking through the monkey exhibit at Animal Kingdom, and all these people were gathered around, and there's like the, the monkey person like talking about the monkeys and all this. Aiden and the kids didn't see it, thankfully. I didn't even tell you this. And, and this male monkey, the female monkey's like laying there, you know, doing her thing. The male monkey walks over and literally just like grabs her, like <clears throat> in the special parts. And the whole, the whole little crowd on that section went, oh. <laughs> and the, and the, the monkey trainer person, the, whatever she is, the zoologist or whatever, she, she, says, she says, oh, yeah, they do that to see if it's like okay that they can, you know, if, it's, if, if she's ripe to, you know, okay, y'all with me. You are not a monkey. <laughs> but yet we have a whole generation walking and living and acting like monkeys because that's what they've seen the example of in front of them. I can't even tell you, I was in the mall just the other day. I can't even tell you, I can't let the words come out of my mouth in this room. A conversation I overheard, loud conversation, where one teenage boy was shouting at a teenage girl across the mall, saying something that I could not repeat in this room, that they were shouting across the mall that sounded like monkey talk. Are you with me? Because that's the example that's being put in front of them. They act out of instincts. Animals have no morality. They have instincts. Hear, hear me, to be immoral is to be less than human. To be immoral is to be less than humans. So we act like animals. Secondly, we act like boys because that's what we've seen. <laughs> I'm about to really step on some toes. But it's Father's Day. I love this day. It's my favorite. 
We act like boys. You know boys. They run to their mama every time something doesn't hurt. Somebody else always has to take care of them. Boys don't really have any responsibility. They can't hold a job. Listen, if you're living with some dude or if you're with some dude and he refuses to get a job, and I'm not talking about he can't get a job. I'm saying he refuses to get a job. You are not with a man. You are with a boy. And you need to stop in, 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 you know, giving everything over to this boy and teach him how to be a man by going. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm meddling now. now. I'm not talking about you can't get a job. That's a whole other thing. I'm just talking about you just won't work. You just refuse to work. Like that is, that you're acting like a boy because that's what was demonstrated in front of you, probably. Boys are all about their immediate future. They don't plan for, for anything beyond that. Boys are all about using their energy in games and silliness, and, and they're not productive with their energy. So, so they're going to sit around doing unproductive things all the time. <laughs> I, I ain't got time to go on. But, but, but thirdly, quick, real quick, but, but if we act like animals, we act like boys. We act like women. Once again, because that's what we've seen demonstrated in front of us. It makes sense. That's what was raised. And so now you end up with a generation coming up that confuses gender lines. I don't even know what it means to be a man. Male and female are not, uh, are not the only genders out there. <laughs> I didn't use it, but Pastor Pete sent me a, a picture he was going to use in South Shore today that was an Amazon shirt that said there are more than two genders. But then next to it, it said you either pick the male or female shirt. <laughs> I thought it was ironic. Listen, there are not multiple genders. There is a different way that men dress and women dress. There are not multiple genders. I understand the heart of the brokenness that oftentimes we don't even understand fully because you can't go to that childhood memory. I understand the brokenness, but make no mistake, there are only two genders. There is male and female. There is not more than that. And when you start mistaking it, it causes problems all over the place. I don't have time to get into that like I would like to. I just want to say this is right before I show this video. Today is also Juneteenth. It's not just Father's Day. It's Juneteenth. The day that we celebrate that, that, that the very last of the slaves were liberated and they got the news that they were free. They had been free for a long time, but they actually got the news that they were free because just because something happens over here doesn't mean you get the news of it over here. Juneteenth, the day that we celebrate freedom and the news of freedom coming. The freedom was already there, but they got to celebrate it now. Listen, if you deal with gender dysphoria, that word. <laughs> if you don't know who you are, if you have unwanted desires for the, op, for the same sex or for the opposite sex, come on. Because you married to one person. But, uh -huh. If you've got unwanted desires, I'm here to proclaim that you can be free by the blood of Jesus. The blood that was already paid for back here that you didn't get the news for yet, but I'm telling you, it may not be an easy road, it might not be a simple road, but you can be free. And you should be free because he's already paid the price. And the saddest truth, I said this last week too, but the saddest truth of everything happening right now with Pride Month is that when you are full of pride, you can't change. And there's so many people that have unwanted same-sex attraction, and nobody is telling them you can change by the blood of Jesus, that God can restore you. We'll, we'll have some speakers on that in the future here uh, that even will share their testimony. All right, with that being said, before I give you the last few points, and, and we'll do those quicker, as I mentioned, we're going to show a video, uh, a, a docudrama, a little movie, next Saturday here at the church at 5 p.m., and as we kind of 
transition in the middle of this service. Watch this little uh, trailer for the video, and if you would like to watch it next week, 5 p.m. here at the Brandon location next Saturday. Watch this. It was a summer day. My dad walked in the door and he said, Denise, I want to become a woman. I went through a brutal time of sexual distortion, molestation, led me into a lifestyle of being gay identified for eight years. I struggled with my identity all the way through my life, lived eight years as Laura Jensen until I found the Lord Jesus Christ. The issues are unavoidable. They're on the news. The White House in rainbow colors. They're in our legislation. The Texas bathroom bill. In our schools. Drag queen story out. Our entertainment, our social media. They're even reaching into our churches. Let us be the church together. We're not just talking about issues. We're talking about people. I began injecting myself with massive doses of testosterone. Right here is the needle. The needle's about this big. 15 months on hormone blockers. Maybe another month of hormones. There was always this elusive happiness, but I never quite got there. And you began to realize that maybe this didn't fix what you needed to fix. We are taking biologically healthy young children and putting them at risk. Every church in America is facing this. Love and acceptance and inclusion. They are legally married. As Christians, we can't sit this one out. Neither can we straddle the fence or just leave it to the experts. Every believer has to discover the truth, and that starts by digging into the scriptures. Many people now say that my experience trumps scripture. Can we change God's words? We don't have the luxury to edit what God has said. Being created in God's image means that God's fingerprints are all over us. The man and the woman are created each for each other. There is a fittedness, that's the language. If Jesus Christ becomes your Lord, He is the one who is to identify who you are. I left my partner, I left my job, I left my entire identity behind. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Is it really possible that I can experience change? The fact that there's a struggle doesn't mean that you're on the wrong path. Obeying God is a struggle. Holiness is a struggle. There is hope for you. God loves you, and you are made in the image of God. I felt like light was bursting forth from me, and I knew I was completely changed. So if you'd like to see that here presented at the church, you can it was a summer day. My dad walked in the door uh, and he Saturday said to me, I want to become a woman. Followed by some discussion. If I like to stay for the discussion part, uh, probably a small group type discussion, depending on how many people are here. All right. So what does it mean to be a man? Let me get your attention back. Somebody say manhood. If you don't have it modeled, what does it mean? Well, thankfully, Paul gives at least four other little quick things. What does it mean to be a man? He says, be watchful. Be watchful. David, David demonstrated this. David said, hey, you know that dude Joab? You better watch out for him. You need to deal with this joker. I didn't deal with him in my lifetime, but you need to deal with him in your lifetime. And he also says, you know this guy over here? He has blessed me. He has been good to me. You need to, you need to work with him. He's a good, as a father, as a parent, as a mother, father, as a dad, you need to be able to tell your kids, stay away from that. Yeah, yeah. That trap over there, it almost got me. Yeah. Son, you take him aside privately. You know that porn trap? And it's much bigger in your society than it ever was in mine. You, you need to be aware of this trap because it'll take you. It almost took me down. It might have taken you down for a season. Fathers, you need to be able to say, these are the things that are negative, that are hurting, that you can protect your sons from. You're weighing watchful. 
But you're also coming over here and saying, hey, you know these things? These are the good things. These are the things that bless me. And if you'll incorporate these things in your life, they will bless you too. What is it? It's being watchful. We need people right now in this world who will stand on the wall and keep watch for their sons and daughters and say, hey, this is wrong and this is right. And this is the difference. And somebody has to stand up and watch. You can't just be quiet on these issues. The next one right there, number three, stand firm. What does it mean to act like a man? Stand firm. David charged Solomon to walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. You've got to stand firm. You've got to stand firm. You've got to know what you believe and hold to what you believe because we live in a world of a shaking ground. Have you noticed? The foundations are crumbling underneath us right now. And you better bend your knees. You better get in that athletic posture, they call it. You better bend your knees and prepare because the road's not going to get easier. In fact, some people are like, when are we going to get back to normal? Let me tell you the truth. The last 40 years globally were abnormal, and now we are actually getting back to normal, which is chaos all the time. The history of the world has always been chaotic. We had a few years of relative peace and ease, and we think that was normal. It's not normal. Look at the history of the world. Bend your knees, Dad. Stand firm. Know what you believe. And when the world throws rocks at you and hate at you, you stand firm. And by an example, you teach your children to stand firm as well. Stand firm, meaning don't leave. Don't leave. I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but there are moments in life that you will go so sick of that woman and you want to strangle her. You are so frustrated. Come on, y'all. And you are so, but stand firm. Refuse to walk out the door. Refuse to do what your emotions want to do. Refuse it and stand firm in your belief. That, listen, Aiden and I agreed when we, got, when we started dating and we got married, we said, listen, even if we hate each other a year into our marriage, we ain't going anywhere. What happened to that type of tenacity that said, I will stand firm in my marriage. I will not leave. Don't leave. Stand firm. Be present. You don't have to be a perfect dad. Just be a present dad. That solves a whole lot of the battle. In fact, trying to be a perfect dad doesn't demonstrate to your kids the issues and challenges you face, and you're not modeling well. Number four, be strong. That's what he said right there in 1 Corinthians. Be strong. That does not mean to be macho. I love the image of David and Solomon because they could not have been two more different people. David was the macho man's man. He's out there slaying people and stealing their foreskins, y'all. He's the macho man. He's fighting lions and tigers and Goliaths and all this. And then you get Solomon come on the scene. And Solomon is the educated. He's the PhD professor. Says everything correctly and all the right articulation of every word. David's over here like sticking a sling and a stone, chasing people down. Solomon's over here all dressed in royal robes. You could not have two different of people, but they're both men. Your image of manhood has nothing to do with your pecs or your biceps. Your image of manhood has nothing to do with if you can win a fight or not. Be strong means that you're that person that's strong enough that you get up in the morning and go to work when you want to sleep in. It doesn't matter how big your biceps are. Be strong means that you say no when everything inside of you wants to say yes. I don't know who I'm talking to right there. There are going to be times in life and culture will tell you just do it. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And everything inside of you wants to say yes, but you know you have to say no. That's being a man. That's being strong. Yes. Being a man is 
Being strong is giving to supply for your kids and going without as the adult. There are some men in this room who are strong. Don't quit when it gets hard. You lean in and you fight. And then lastly, the last thing he said right there, let love be your foundation. Verse 14, he said, let all that you do be done in love. Listen, the most macho thing you can do is love. David was a lover and a fighter. The most macho thing you can do is love your kids and love their mother. The most, even if she has hurt you, and, and, and love their mother. Even if you don't want to be with her, even if you're divorced, refuse to talk negatively about their mother. Same thing with the fathers. But love becomes your why. It becomes the foundation of all that you do. Love is not just gushy and romantic. Love protects. It fights for the truth and do everything in love. <sighs> do everything in love. David is a unique example of fatherhood because most people don't ever tell this story, but David had other sons that he was not a particularly good father to. In fact, one of them led a civil war against him named Absalom. He, he led a whole civil war against, David is not like the picture-perfect father that always got it done and always did it the right way. But he is a father who fixed it in the end as he starts to create something for Solomon. He's a father that learned from his mistakes. I don't know who you are in this room, but, but a message like this can beat up some dads and you think like, I'm not good enough and, and I can't live up to this. All I can tell you is you can shrink back or you can step forward. You can't change yesterday, but you can change tomorrow. <clears throat> and he's fixing it with Solomon. And I love this. I think this is so beautiful. It says this in verse 12. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father, David, and his rule was firmly established. Solomon sat on David's throne. Don't miss this, dads. You are building something for your kids. You are establishing their rule. You are teaching them how to live. And when you, are y'all with me? And when you don't teach them, when you don't establish it, they have nothing to stand on. And one of the problems with America today is we have a generation on shaky ground with no examples of how to live. You are building the throne of your son and your daughter, dad. Is it a good throne? Is it a strong throne? His rules were firmly established, not because Solomon was so great, but because David was so great. We have a core value here at the church that says our ceiling will be their floor. Dad, that should be every core value of every father in this room. It's not a competition. I want them to outgrow me. I want them to go beyond me. Oh, my gosh. Y'all with me? <coughs> Stand up with me around the room if you would. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider subscribing and sharing this on all your social platforms? If you are moved by the message and would love to share your testimony, please email it to amen at myariseChurch.com. I pray you leave here feeling encouraged. See you next time. Thank you.